Bibles and turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Have a very wet sleeve. I'm pretty sure it was Cassandra who did it. What a blessing that was, amen? Witness those baptisms following the Lord and scriptural baptism and wanting to be obedient to Christ. It's a blessing to see the hand of God, the work of God, amen. Psalm 90 is where we're going to be this afternoon. And I told you uh, this morning that the Lord really changed the direction uh, of the message this afternoon from what I was originally intending. And um, in complete and full honesty, I've actually preached part of this message before. Uh, I've reworked some things, but I, I wondered why the Lord was impressing my heart to move that direction. And if you were here in the Sunday school hour, uh, you'll find that these two messages really dovetail off of one another and uh, appreciated that Sunday School lesson very much this morning. It was really um, of the Lord and, again, understood the reason why the Lord was moving the direction for me to go because they really dovetail together. And so um, let's look at the Word of God again. Let's be instructed by it again. Amen. And let's be doers of the Word. Let's seek to apply God's truth in our life. In Psalm 90 and verse 9, the Bible says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of, our lo- of, of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. I'm going to talk to you this afternoon briefly about numbering our days. This passage here, is Moses, who's praying for knowledge and really a real experience for God's people uh, to experience God's providence in their life. Certainly this is about the nation of Israel and their history and so on. But there are some great truths for us as well in how we ought to live our life. And the main thought or portion of this passage really basically talks about how life is fleeting, how death is universal, and the only life of any value is a life that is godly. A life that is is lived, that is pursued after anything other than that is vanity of vanities. And so this 
passage teaches us how critical it is that, number one, our soul is right with God, but then, number two, uh, that we live life in accordance with the will of God and how, how we don't have a lot of time and the way that we invest our life uh, is so critical. Not to necessarily, I mean, it can relate to where we spend our eternity because you invest your life in the wrong thing, you end up not being saved, and it'll affect your eternity. But even as a child of God, how we live our life affects our eternity in the sense that uh, we're going to give an account to the Lord for the days that He has granted to us. And so we're going to talk about numbering our days. I'm going to pull out some principles here that can be really helpful uh, to you and me and help establish the work of our hands, establish life for us according to the will of God. Before we get going in this passage, just let me give you a, a story. And you might remember this story. I've given it before. But the story goes is about a, a man who basically lived his life in, that, in, in futility. And in the barren Mojave Desert of California, there rests a monument to futility. A single man, his name was Burrow Schmidt, who spent over 40 years of his life digging a tunnel more than 2,000 feet long through solid granite using only hand tools. Schmidt was a gold prospector who had settled on the north side of the Copper Mountain Gold had been discovered on the south side of the mountain. Thinking that he might strike it rich and that he would need a route for sending his ore to the other side, he began building or digging this tunnel. In 1910, with his tunnel halfway finished, the Southern Pacific Railroad completed a line through the area which rendered Schmidt's tunnel completely useless. But by then, the tunnel had become his obsession. He kept digging for another 28 years after this, until he finally broke through into daylight on the other side. He operated the tunnel as a tourist attraction until his death in 1954, over 40 years of his life to build a useless tunnel through a barren, out-of-the-way desert mountain. A waste of time. But, and we might say that, what a waste. Why invest your energies into something like that? But who's to say that Schmidt's tunnel was a waste of his life more than compared to anybody else in their pursuits of life. I mean, think about somebody like Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world, but died in his 30s. Think about somebody like who, uh, some scientist or doctor who would find a cure for cancer and help people survive through cancer only to end up dying anyway. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we can get overwhelmed with the feeling that, that life can be futile. What, 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 am I, what, am I, what am I doing here? I can't find the peace that I'm looking for. And I flit to this and to that and I jump from this and I jump from that trying to find some contentment in my life, trying to find something that brings fulfillment in my life. And at the end, we can be like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He said, I've tried everything under the sun, and all is vanity of vanities, it's vexation of spirit. A person can amass a great fortune 
only to be cut down in the prime of life and never enjoy it. You can't take anything with you when you leave this life. You can work all life long looking forward to retirement only to die and never enjoy it. Almost anything that you choose to put your hopes and your efforts in, in this life, on the temporal plane, can suddenly be brought to nothing. And usually it's through the great common leveler of death that every man will experience nobody escapes. There's a lot of people who, even Christian people, who say, I'm going to serve God at some point, or they have it in their mind, and maybe I'll serve God at 1130, but they die at 1115, and they stand before the Lord. Good intentions that are never realized. There was a man named George Bernard Shaw who wryly observed, he said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Right? Nobody escapes it. Sometimes people don't want to think about death, but it's a reality. In our culture, maybe it's more uncomfortable to think about it. People would rather just brush it aside. People would rather just live for the now and not think about those kinds of things. But you know what? You can't brush that aside for too long. Because everyone we know, including ourselves, is going to face leaving this life. So whether it's your own death or whether it's the death of somebody that you know, you have to wrestle with the question of how can my fleeting life have purpose and value? How can the, the days that, that, that I have in this life be fulfilling and have meaning and purpose and value to them? What makes life significant or worthwhile? Well, this passage teaches us that, yes, number one, life is fleeting. Yes, number two, all men die. But because life is fleeting and because all men die, the only life of any value is one that is godly. And so it reminds us how critical it is to, number one, have our soul right with God. And I would ask you the question, are you saved this afternoon? Do you know for sure where will you spend eternity? But the second question I would ask is this, how are you living this life that God has granted you? You don't breathe because of your own willpower. You don't exist because of your own willpower. You had nothing to do with you coming into this world. And people might think and spend all of, their, all of their days searching after fortune and fame and money and looking forward to retirement and invest their entire life into things that they can never take with them. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Amen. Wasting time is often synonymous with young boys. And prolonged adolescence is a scourge uh, in our culture. Wasting time left unchecked carries over into adulthood and eventually is going to lead to a wasted life. Verse 12 tells us, teach us to number our days. The word so is a conclusion word. It's almost like the word therefore. 
based on what has just been said. What has just been said? Verse 9, our days pass away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten. You might have 70 years on this life. If by reason of strength, maybe because you're healthy, you get 80 years. Yet is there strength, labor, sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. We're going to stand before God at the end of this life. So, therefore, teach us to number our days. Because we have an appointment with God. Teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Numbering our days is put into the category of being wise. Naturally, the opposite of that is also true then. You're a fool if you spend your life and waste your life into things that are of no value. You know, we would say it's wise to be frugal with our resources. It's wise to be a good steward of that which God has given. You know, we count our money. We keep track of its value. And we would say, you know, wasting money is not a good character quality. But according to verses 9 and 10, money is not our most precious commodity. Time is our most precious commodity. The days that God has given to us is the most precious commodity. So the conclusion is, teach us to number those days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. How does this right numbering of our days lead to applying our hearts to wisdom? Listen, having the right perspective about my life and the, sh- and the, the shortness of it, the brevity of it, the fact that I'm going to stand before God, having that as a focal point, as an anchor for my life, listen, it causes me to realize how transitory life is. And when I realize this, I begin to live differently because I'm thinking about the future. So how can I get to this place of numbering my days and living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, a life that is godly? Well, there's a few things in this passage that can be real practical for us, help us to have the right perspective. The first is found in verse 14. The first is this, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. How do I have the right perspective? How do I get to this point of numbering my days to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Well, number one, we need to start each day right. We should start every day that God gives to us in the right way. He says here, Satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. It's a foundational principle for the rest of my life. Start the day right, and it's going to establish my life for the rest of my life. The word satisfy means to fill. So the psalmist says here, satisfy us early. Fill us early. That word early means at the dawn or in the morning. But he says, satisfy us early with what? Thy mercy. This word mercy that's translated mercy in English, is the Hebrew word for kindness. And what he's saying is, fill us every morning with your kindness, Lord. Oh, this is a great perspective to have. Like the tomorrow morning when you wake up, the only reason you wake up is because of the kindness of God. 
This is a good perspective to start your day with. It's only the kindness of God. Lamentations 3.23 tells us that the mercies of God are new every morning and God's faithfulness is great to us. Listen, every morning we have an opportunity to start that day right. God has broken time down. He doesn't exist in time. He transcends it. But he's broken time down for us. And we see it in millennia, in centuries, in decades, in years, in months, in days, in minutes, in seconds. But you know what? That alone is a demonstration of the mercy of God. And what I mean by that is this. You know what? You might make a mistake today. You mess up today. But if God wills, there's going to be a tomorrow that he gives you to start all over and start it right. We might mess up, but it doesn't mean the rest of our life has to be ruined. I used to hate, in construction, I used to hate linoleum from the 70s. The big sheet of linoleum that gets rolled out, you know, and it's in the kitchen, and you do remodel jobs and stuff like that, and you can't repair that. Somebody drops a knife on the floor and it cuts the linoleum or whatever. There's a gouge taken out of it. You can't just take a piece of it out. The whole thing is ruined. But that's not what our life is like. We make mistakes. We mess up today. But if God wills, there's a tomorrow that he gives you because of his kindness and his mercy to start over. God gives the opportunity to start every day right so as to get a vision for that day. Lord, what do you want out of my life today? I yield it to you because it's only by your kindness that I have today. That's far different than what do I want to do today. And maybe we don't even ask ourselves, what do I want to do today? We just live it. We just do it. We've got this thing we're pursuing after. Why am I getting up today? Because I have to go to work. Why am I going to work? Well, because I have to pay my bills. Why do I have to pay my bills? Well, because I have to enjoy all the things that I have. And what am I really shooting for? That day when I don't have to work anymore and I can take my ease. You can't take any of that with you. You can't take any of it with you. And how many people have pursued that in their life and never even saw one day of it? Gone. Life's over. Right? How should we start the day? Lord, fill me with your kindness today. You've given me life today. How should I use it for you? That's a perspective that sets the stage for the rest of your life. The psalmist said, verse 14, Satisfy us early with thy mercy. Why? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Isn't that interesting? How many people invest so much of their life into this monetary material thing and they're miserable, joyless, angry, bitter people. Everything's always, ah, 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 all the time. That's how they live. Why? 
I think you know. God's word is speaking. He says, you satisfy us early with your kindness. You have the perspective. My days only because of the grace of God, the mercy of God. Lord, how do you want me to use it? And it becomes a pattern for the rest of my life. That habit, that habit helps keep me from wasting the precious time that God allows. And it establishes joy in my life. Why? Because I'm living life with real purpose. Why do I exist? To give glory to God. That's fulfilling. Look at verse 15. So that's principle number one. How do I get to this point? Principle number two is in verse 15, learn from my past mistakes. He says, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. This is the nation of Israel. They were disobedient to the Lord. They were faithless. It caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They were afflicted. And the psalmist says, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, in the years wherein we have seen evil. This is a psalm of Moses, as I said. He led Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their sin. And the truth was that every single one of those that wandered in the, year, in the wilderness, they all died. They all died. What a waste. What a waste. Moses would have been someone who was very accustomed to seeing death all those years until that entire generation died in the wilderness. There were a lot of graves in the desert. They had been afflicted because of their sin. They had seen evil because of their unbelief, because they didn't just yield to God and obey God. They didn't learn from their mistake. They kept going in that same vicious cycle, because if you look at the history of the nation of Israel, they experienced the same pattern, the same cycle, over and over and over again. God was merciful to them. They turned their back on God, reject God. They experienced the consequence of their sin. They experienced evil, and in their, uh, their broken condition, they cry out to God for mercy, and God is merciful and restores them again, and everything is good until they turn their back on God again. And guess what? The cycle starts all over again. We can be the same way in life. We can fall into the same ruts over and over and over again. We have a habit of, I'm going to do this in my life, and it, it ends up being a disaster, and I ruin this, or, or this turns out to be a, 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 a big, you know, giant fail. And we have this pattern of life that, that keeps us in this cycle of failure. And the reason is because we haven't learned from our mistakes and finally just submitted to the Lord. You take it. So here's the application and even the encouragement friend don't fall back into the old ways don't fall back into the same ruts if god reveals things to you confess it forsake it move forward don't look back grow in your christian life repeating or having to cover the same ground again is wasting time learn from our mistakes amen and isn't it great that God is gracious and merciful that when we do mess up and we do make mistake, 
if we confess it and forsake it. He's always faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse of unrighteousness and restore. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God's graciousness and God's mercy to us. Let's not fall back. Let's not go back and do it again. Testing the mercy of God. Look at verse 16. Here's a third principle that can help us get to this place of numbering our days, not wasting the life that God's given to us. Verse 16 says, Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. The third principle here is seek God's will for today. Seek God's will for today. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Listen, you know what you ought to do? What we ought to do is continually seek God's will just for today. Just for today. And the beauty of doing this is that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about the future if you just stay in the center of God's will today. The word work in verse 16, it means acts or doings. And he says, let thy work, thy acts, thy doings appear unto thy servants. That's today, right now. But then he says, and thy glory unto their children. That word glory means magnificence. And the magnificence of God would appear to their children. That's the tomorrow. That's the next generation. And the, the, the idea here, or the thought is, 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 listen, there is something about serving the Lord with your very all today. If you're a parent, serve the Lord with all of your heart, all of your life today. And it's going to show your children that you really believe this is real. And what this book says is true. And you believe God. And that it's going to translate into your children's lives. And they're going to say, I want the same God. I want what my parents have. I see their love for the Lord. I see a heart for God and for right. I see them building their life on honoring the Lord first. I see them investing their days and their very all into the spiritual things. And I've seen the hand of God work. God has answered prayer. I've seen things that, that are not natural things. They're spiritual things that only God can do. It's real. I want that for myself. But the opposite is also true. Parents, the opposite is also true. We show and teach our kids that the most important thing is a buck. The most important thing is having stuff. We can dishonor the Lord. And when we have time, we'll go to church. When we have time, we'll fit it, God in. Maybe. But this over here is the real important thing. We teach our kids by how we live. Are they going to see and experience the magnificence of God? 
through that? Are they going to get the right impression of God? God is amazing. Pay attention. Stay awake, please. I'm almost done. If they see hypocrisy, they see inconsistency, they're often going to be seeking for something different for their life. It's really important. Seek God's will today. Seek God's will today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow if you're in the center of God's will today. But it won't just affect your life. It's going to affect the next generation too. Your glory will be seen by their children. Lord, help me with that. Lord, help me personally with that. Look at verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. The psalmist says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Here's the fourth principle and the last one. Teach us to number our days. How do we get to this point? Being wise with the time that God has given to us. Well, we need to allow God's beauty to shine in and on your life. What is that? What is the beauty of the Lord? Well, we could call it His countenance. We could call it His grace. We could call it His divine influence in my life. And His influence has affected my heart. His influence has affected the way that I live, the way that I respond to others. God's influence in and on my life. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 quickly, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. It says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. I'm going to read some more, but let me just break this verse down. Peter says, His divine power, His divine influence, has given us all things that we need to, that pertain unto, into this life and godliness, and it comes through the knowledge of of Him, that's Christ, who hath called us to glory and virtue. The word glory means valor. The word virtue means dignity. God has called you to a life of valor and dignity. That life of valor and dignity only comes through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just head knowledge about facts and figures concerning Jesus Christ. This is experiential knowledge. His life impacting and affecting mine me becoming more like Him. Okay? So then he says, through all of that, in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, 
and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word knowledge is experiential knowledge. These things in your life, faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and godliness and patience and brotherly kindness and all of these things are evidences of the person of Christ if affecting and influencing my life. Did any of that make sense? His countenance. His influence in my life that's affected my heart, that's affected the way that I live, that's affected the way that I respond. Growing in the intimate, experiential knowledge of Christ causes me to do the things I could not do before, making me like Him. Therefore, making me a better son or a better daughter. Therefore, making me a better husband or a better wife or a better church member or a better friend. Because I'm responding with patience and kindness and godliness. And there's temperance and balance in my life. The characteristics of Christ through me. The beauty of the Lord. What's the result of that, though? Well, if you go back to our text in Psalm 90, this growing in the image of Christ, His divine influence on my life. What's the result? The second part of verse 17 says, And establish thou the work of our hands upon us, Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. The result is the establishing of the work of our hands in this life. All of a sudden, we find value and purpose in this life. He's talking about stability here. Establishing the work of our hands. He's talking about consistency here. This is what growing in knowledge of Jesus Christ will do. It will create stability in our life that results in God's peace. Peace in our marriages. Peace in our homes. Peace in our finances. Peace in our church. Because the work of God is in my hands. God is establishing my life. Versus the person who's always searching for this, this, this contentment and they're, they're trying this thing out and they're trying that thing out and they're flitting here and flitting there and there's anxiety and turmoil and there's no joy in their life and no peace. Because you're investing in all the wrong places. You want some stability in your life? Let His divine influence impact your life. Finally say, I'm done. I'm done trying to run things. I've messed it up. Lord, today is yours. And he establishes the work of our hands and brings stability in our life. 2 Peter 1 and verse 10 says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. 
For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the conclusion. Don't be children. Don't be babies in Christ. Grow. Allow God to establish your life. Be stable. And here's, here's the reality. Life is short. And there's no time for that which is built to fall down and have to be rebuilt. There's no time for being back and forth, being tossed to and fro, floundering, wandering, unstable. There's no time for that. Life is fleeting. Jesus Christ is coming again. We're going to stand before Him. We're going to give an account for the days that He gives to us. So teach us to number those days. So that we can learn. We can apply our hearts to wisdom. So we can learn to be investing these days that God has granted into that which is eternal. Be wise. Amen? Be wise. Don't be a fool. Number our days. The only life that has purpose and meaning and value is a life that's godly. The rest of it is a waste. And we'll see that in eternity. That's when we'll see it. Number one, do you know you're saved? If you've never been saved, you need to make sure your soul is right with God because you're going to stand before God. Number two, if you're saved, are you numbering your days? How are you spending the days that God has given? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word as only you can. Accomplish your will.